We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. We're in Psalms chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Once again, that's Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. And uh, if you're a guest, my name is Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus. And on behalf of our pastors and our members, it's a joy to have you with us today. Thanks for uh, joining us and gathering with us here uh, today. Members, it's really good to see you. Um, been a long time since I've been up here and uh, been about six, six, seven weeks since I stood up here to preach to you. And, um, and so really excited to get back into this with you today as we jump into this um, new series. I know that there's a ring going. They're taking care of that. I see you all looking at them over there. And um, you looking at them doesn't help them realize something's going on. They, they got that figured out, but they'll take care of that. Um, stay, stay with me as we dive into this. Hey, we got a new series we're beginning today. I'm really, really looking forward um, to this series. Uh, we're in a new series called Poems and Proverbs. All right, Poems and Proverbs. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to be journeying through various Psalms and Proverbs. Right, we're not actually just going through verse by verse from the beginning to the end. That would take us until most of us are dead and we're a very young church. That would be a long, um, long time for us. But, uh, but we're going to just take seven different selections from Proverbs and from Psalms, and we're just going to look at them. There's no um, deep rhyme or reason as to why we pick these seven. Right? There's no like, hey, these seven fit really well together. Each pastor who's preaching just got to choose one that had just filled their heart with joy about who the Lord is. Right? And so we are wanting to share with you passages from the Psalms and the Proverbs that the Lord has used to encourage and strengthen and build up and embolden us in, in different seasons of life. This is going to be beneficial for us on a number of reasons. One, it's simply the Word of God, and the Word of God's always beneficial for God's people and for the lost. Right? There, there's just there's that. There's also the fact that as we search through the, the wisdom literature and as we look through Proverbs specifically, there's just so many wise sayings for us. And there's so many um, just general truths that, if applied, would help lead us who are relatively young as a people and, and often can be unwise in the way that we think and the way that we act and the things that we, that we do. It can help us um, learn how to think and act more godly, to think and act more in line of God's character, and ultimately to know God more, to know his character more by, by what he says is wise and, and not wise. And in Psalms, we get the beautiful reality that God speaks to us in all different genres. Right? That God doesn't just give us prophetic books and doesn't just give us letters and the epistles and he doesn't just give us historical books and, and books of law. He, he gives us um, poetry. 
He he speaks to us in beautiful words and in deep words that, that speak to the heart in deep places that draw out from us emotion. Right? In Psalms, we, we don't simply learn truth, we feel truth. Right? We're going to get to feel truth as we journey through Psalms because the psalmists are people who came to the Lord on a daily basis in really dark, hard, suffering, tr- uh, tumultuous seasons, and they had to learn how to place their emotions and ultimately their joy in God in those moments. And it's going to help us not just learn that, but to feel that and draw us into that as well. So I'm really looking forward to this series as we get going. So what I want us to do is I want us to pray, and then I want us to dive into this. By the way, if you're a guest, um, I was so excited to say hi to our covenant members. I apologize for this. If you're a guest, and we'd love to meet you after the service at the Connect table. Stop by, say hello to us. I'd love to, I'll be at the front door. I'd love to meet you and get to know your name and, and what brought you here today. So please do that, guest. We'd, we'd love to, to connect with you that way. Let's pray and jump into this text. Jesus, you are... You're holy. There's none beside you and there's none like you. You are the only foundation upon which we should build our lives. Today, we get the joy of gathering together with people in this room and opening up scripture, your word to us, your letter to us, your wisdom to us. We get to explore what you would have to say to us with the purpose of being drawn to you by it so that we might find real life in you. And so may we not pass over this hour and a half of gathering lightly. May we see it as beautiful and as life-giving and as um, joy-producing as we truly learn to delight in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Psalm chapter 1 seemed like a good place to start this series. Psalm 1 is actually a synopsis of all of the Psalms. It's all of the Psalms in six verses, if you will. He gives you the theme and the point and the purpose of all of the Psalms within these six verses for us to understand. And so as we look at this, it is helping us, it will help us to understand not just today's sermon, but, but, but the rest of the series, really. As we go through this, it will help us to understand as we read the Psalms, as we explore them, what it looks like to, to walk within um, the, the Psalms, to read them and to study them and to let them apply to us. And here's what he addresses for us. In Psalm chapter 1, he's going to address this. He's going to address the desire to be truly happy. Every one of us is living our lives in a pursuit of happiness. There's no one who is not living their life in a pursuit of happiness. And Psalm 1 is going to sum up for us unlike perhaps any other passage does, where this happiness is ultimately found. John Trapp on this said this, the psalmist saith more to the point about true happiness in in this short psalm than any one of the philosophers, or dare I say all of them put together. They did but beat the bush. God here hath put the bird into our hand. 
All the philosophers beat the bush of happiness, and God has placed it into our hand in this psalm. The psalmist comes to God in all sorts of emotional chaos and brokenness. All throughout this, he's coming from places of, of suffering and places of, of, of torment. He's coming from places of being chased and attempted to be killed and, and places of homelessness and places of, of chaos and places of feeling like God has forgotten him and betrayed him and places of he, God's not answering his prayers. And, and he's coming from all of these different places. And, and in Psalm 1, he's going to point out for us where all of these emotions and feelings should come and be placed so that our hearts might walk in the peace of this true happiness that he calls blessedness. Let's look at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is an expressive term for the truly happy. For the truly happy. The truly happy man walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Or you might read it this way. The one who walks in the counsel of the wicked and stands in the um, way of the sinners and sits in the seat of the scoffers, though he thinks he is happy, is not truly happy. Though he thinks he has found happiness, he is not truly happy happy. Blessed is the man who does not do these things. And so we just have to all understand as we explore this, that we all find ourselves in this place where this matters to us. Because it's the pursuit of all of our hearts, of all of our lives, to find happiness. There's none of us in this room who are not pursuing happiness in some way. This blessedness in some way. None of us went to bed last night and thought to ourselves, you know what I really need to be I just need to be more sad. If I just had more sadness in my life, everything would be okay. If there was just more grief, more anxiety, if I could only be depressed one more day, that would complete me. We want happiness. It's why we hang out with the people that we hang out with and avoid the people we avoid. Because some people make us feel happy and others don't. It's why we pursue the jobs that we pursue. It's why we live in the neighborhood that we live in. It's why we like the hobbies that we like. It's why we marry or date the person that we marry or date. It's why our culture is obsessed with divorce when we're no longer happy. It's because we simply want to be happy. So we chase it with everything that is within us. And so the psalmist begins by saying, truly happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So he has our attention. I want to be truly happy. He's telling me about true happiness, blessedness. Speak on, psalmist. The truly happy man or the blessed man, walks not in the counsel of the wicked. In our pursuit of happiness, we often pursue the counsel of the wicked. In fact, we do it all the time. This counsel is readily available to us. 
Like you can reach in your pocket and pull out your phone and receive the counsel of the wicked. Right? We literally carry it with us everywhere we go. It's on our social media. It's in the commercials of the shows we watch. It's embedded within the plots of our favorite movies. It's on every page of the books that we read. It's within the lyrics of the songs that move us. It's in the advice of our coworkers that we seek. The counsel of the wicked is surrounding us, readily available at any moment for us to pursue. And sometimes we aggressively, intentionally pursue wicked counsel. And sometimes we just pursue it by accident. We're living foolish lives, unprotected lives, undisciplined lives, and we open ourselves up for the counsel of the wicked. And it makes sense. It makes sense that we would want to embrace that counsel. Right? Because when we think about it, the counsel of the godly feels restrictive. If you're dating someone and you get to go to two people to ask their advice and you go to a godly person, right, someone who's, who's using scripture and they counsel you with this advice of, well, well, let's talk about this person. Like, like where's their character? Where's their love of Jesus? Is, is this wise? What are the boundaries that you put up in your relationship? And you go to wicked counsel and the wicked counsel goes, do they make you happy? It's like, I like that counsel a lot more. That one seems a lot more caring about me. You, you want me to be happy, and they make me happy. Let's not overcomplicate this. But the counsel of the godly seems restrictive. It seems like it holds us and bounds us and, and puts these boundaries around us that, that we cannot live and not, not even breathe in. Don't date that person. They're not a believer. Don't get drunk. That's not helpful. It's a sin. You should live more generously with your money and time and possessions. Consider your church family when making major decisions about life and career and moving. They're all restraints. And so we ignore them and we seek the counsel of the wicked because the counsel of the wicked seems simply set on our happiness. Date whomever you want. Whoever makes you happy. After all, God would want you to be happy. Let's go out and let's just eat too much tonight. Let's drink too much tonight. We'll feel better about all of this in the morning. Go buy yourself something nice. It'll help you feel better. Do whatever it takes to get yourself ahead at work. Hey, look at your phone one more time. I promise you, if you have a few more likes on that post, you'll feel better about yourself. We love it because it feels like we're pursuing happiness. And oftentimes we feel happy in the moment. And all the while, this pursuit of happiness through the counsel of the wicked is leaving us empty and longing and depressed. A blessed man, a truly happy man, recognizes this and will seek the counsel of the godly, not the wicked. As one commentator said, to him the ways of piety are paths of peace. Him being the, the one who's truly happy. To him the ways of piety are paths of peace and pleasantness. He takes wiser counsel and walks in the commandments of the Lord. In other words, godly, godly counsel is not restrictive, but peaceful. Not burdensome, but pleasant. It's got to be a change of the mind, the one who seeks counsel. 
So we walk in the counsel of the wicked. We're receiving this counsel from all around us, whether that be media or whether that be, be seeking out um, bad advice from people who don't love the Lord and don't know the scriptures and, and don't, don't trust the spirit within them to, to lead them. We're, we're seeking out this wicked counsel. And he says this, the truly happy man doesn't just walk in the counsel of the wicked, but they also stand in the way of the sinner. I want you to notice the pattern here. You're walking in the counsel of the wicked. And if you walk in the counsel of the wicked enough, eventually you stop walking and you just start standing in the way of the sinner. No longer are you walking past the council, walking by the council. You've heeded the council. You've heard the council. And you've decided this council is worth me standing with. And now you begin to stand in the way of the sinner. If you walk in it long enough, eventually you buy into the wicked counsel and you decide that what they're saying will lead to blessedness really will and you begin to stand there. It has become part of who you are and now you're making decisions based in sin to benefit sin that leads to sin. You're making decisions based in sin to benefit sin resulting in more sin. You think it'll make you truly happy? And even if you know it won't, you eventually convince yourself it will. Even when you know it won't, you convince yourself that it will. If 15 years of addiction to pornography taught me anything, it's that if I face the temptation long enough, I eventually give in. This will make you feel better. This will ease your anxiety. This will help you feel more happy. No, it won't. That's a lie. It's going to make me feel terrible afterwards. And if I leave myself in the place of temptation long enough, I convince myself that the wicked counsel is actually truth. This week, my son and I were reading a Bible story. He saw a picture of the snake. And he said, Daddy, if the snake tells me a lie, I won't listen. I'll listen to God. I said, that's great, bud. That's a good choice. That's wise. That's, that's, that's wisdom. I'm, I'm proud of you for that. He goes, but if the snake tell me two times, I'll listen to the snake. <laughs> okay, son, yeah. Me, let's work on that. Me too, though, right? Like, like can, can we push that up to three or four? We give ourselves a buffer there. But isn't that true of us? Man, the snake lies to us with his wicked counsel from whatever means we get it. And we're like, ah, uh, no, I know that's not true. I'm not falling for that. I know what God said. But when we stand in the presence of that counsel too long, eventually we begin to question what God said and why he said it. And we begin to believe that counsel might be right after all. And we find ourselves then standing in the way of the sinner. He goes on. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The pattern continues. I'm walking, and when I receive the counsel too much, I begin to believe it, so I stop and I stand in the way of the sinners. I begin practicing sin myself. And if I stand in the way of sinners too long, the pattern continues, and I end up pulling up a chair and sitting down with a scoffer. It's this downward progression, walking to counsel, standing in the way, sitting in the seat. You're now so comfortable in your sin that you're scoffing at God and at the godly. 
What are you going to do about it, God? What are you going to do about this? You're going to punish me for what I'm doing? I'm just pursuing happiness. You want me to be happy, don't you? We even begin to scoff at those who are godly. Dude, like, like that is so restrictive. Why are you doing that? You need more freedom in your life like I have. And when we do this long enough, this seat of scoffers becomes the seat from which we lash out towards others who walk in godly counsel, enticing them to join us. From the seat of scoffers, you begin to be the one who offers the counsel of the wicked. You receive the counsel. You buy into the counsel. You stand in the sin. You begin to sit down and become the one who then counsels others to walk in sin with you. Spurgeon said of this, when men are living in sin, they go from bad to worse. First, they merely walk in the counsel of the careless and the ungodly who forget God. The evil is rather practical and habitual. But after that, they become habituated to evil. And they stand in the way of open sinners who willfully violate God's commandments. And if left alone, they go one step further and become themselves uh, pestilential, which means infectious or contagious, pestilential teachers and tempters of others. And thus, they sit in the seat of the scorpion. Perhaps you may intentionally give someone wicked counsel. Perhaps you're that devious. Where you're just like, I want to ruin this person's life. And you intentionally counsel them with wickedness. But chances are most of us aren't that way. Chances are most of us don't intentionally counsel someone to wickedness. We simply counsel someone out of the lies that we've begun to believe are true. We've walked in the counsel of the wicked to such degree that we've begun to live in the way of the sinners. And now we're sitting in a place where from our experience, what we see and what we believe and what we understand, we're now speaking counsel, but it's not truth. It's lies. It's wickedness. We think because we feel happy in our sin that the counsel we give will lead that person to happiness, to blessedness. but it leads to death. This is the journey of the one who's truly unhappy. Their pursuit of happiness through the counsel of the wicked has left them in a truly and eternally unhappy state that leads others to a truly and eternally unhappy state. So, verse 2. The blessed man, or the truly happy man, does not do this, But, verse 2, instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. On his law he meditates day and night. One commentator said the law of the Lord is daily bread for the true believer. Right, It's your your nutrients, it's your substance, it's what fills you and gives you the power and the strength for the next day. Now, in direct context here, the psalmist would have been thinking of the law of Moses. The law that God had given them, that that pointed out to them, here's who God is and here's how to please God and how to know God. And yet the beautiful thing of the question of what time is it in redemptive history and, and us being on this side of the cross is we have all of the scriptures to look to. And the Christian must hear this delighting in the law of the Lord as delighting in the entirety of the word of God. 
right, that we find delight in this, purpose in this, hope in this, life in this, substance in this, that there's joy and freedom and life that comes from this book. The idea of sitting and reading and thinking on this is not a burdensome one, a task I must get to today. But it's something that gives us life. It's something I get to do today. It's something that brings hope to me today. Charles Spurgeon, again, on the scriptures, said this, this, scriptures, this is the spot where his children love to be found because here they find consolation in the midst of tribulation, joy in their sorrows, and comfort in their afflictions. This is where his children love to be found. They delight to be in this place, in this book, in these pages, in these stories, to know God, to know his heart for us and his love for us and his answers for us. Delight in this. Here's the thing, if you delight in this and you study this and you read this and you meditate on this, here's what you come to find out. This book's about a person. It's a book about a person named Jesus from beginning to end, pointing to the man Jesus, who, by the way, said that he has come to fulfill the law. And so a call to delight in the law of the Lord is a call to delight in the fulfillment of the law, which is Christ. To delight in Jesus, to see him. To delight in Genesis 3 promise that Jesus, the Savior, would come and crush the serpent. To delight in the virgin birth, the miraculous sending of God into the world, taking on flesh, becoming man so that he might save us. To delight in his perfectly obedient life, stainless, spotless, faultless, and sinless, Tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. It is the sinlessness of Jesus which fulfills the law that we could not keep ourselves. To delight in the bloody and obedient substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross, appeasing the wrath of God and purchasing your justification before God. To delight in the resurrected Jesus who by defeating death purchased our resurrection from the dead, offering us life eternal to delight in his ascension, our risen Savior now sitting at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession on our behalf, literally praying us in to perseverance, to delight in the coming King who will right all wrong, judge all sin, and rescue all who have faith in him. It's a call to delight in this man. The truly happy does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but delights in the law of the Lord and therefore delights in Christ. This is where we find our happiness, delighting in Jesus, who, by the way, is the truly happy man. If the truly happy man, the blessed man, is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the way of sinners, and does not sit down in the seat of of scoffers, then Jesus is the truly happy man, for he has never walked in the counsel of the wicked, he has never stood in the way of sinners, and he has never sat down in the seat of scorners. He's the one man who is eternally, truly happy. And he came to die to give us life so that the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer might find life and happiness in him. Jesus is the substance of our delight. And he says, and this is what will happen to you if you do this. If you delight in the law of the Lord, 
then the truly happy man, the blessed man, will have these things happen. Verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield fruit in their season. Their leaves do not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so, for they are like chaff that the wind drives away. He's like this tree planted, which I love the image that this tree has been planted. Not a tree that grows wild, not a tree that just sprung up, not a weed that just came up some random place, but intentionally, purposefully planted by streams of water. You place yourself in the law of the Lord. He has designed it in such. You delight in this book and in the one whom this book is about. And he has designed it in such a way that what happens is it is an intentional planting of your soul as a tree by streams of water that do not run dry. Your roots sinking deep into the soil, grabbing a firm foundation and all the nutrients and life that that stream has to offer day in. And day out. The word of God is like these streams of water. In John 4, Jesus said, the water that I give you will become a spring, never ending, always flowing up from within you. It's the image that we get, that when we place ourselves in the person of Jesus, when we delight in Jesus, there is a stream of endless life that comes from that of endless wisdom and joy and happiness that comes from this. And when this happens, it says that it will produce fruit in its season. This tree doesn't remain bare, but the healthy tree produces healthy fruit, both as evidence of its health and in order to give health and life to others. Fruit both shows that that tree is healthy and fruit gives health to others. And the one who is planted in the delight of the law of the Lord in Christ himself, man, the streams give life to him so that he produces, she produces fruit. This healthiness that comes from them that also gives life to others. And the leaves do not wither, meaning this tree perseveres. The nutrients and the life that come from being planted near these endless streams preserve this tree from the drought of death. It remains strong even when conditions of life worsen, when circumstances are bad, when finances are dry, when temptation is strong, when doubt is suffocating. This tree perseveres because it's planted by endless streams of life. The light in the Lord. And in all that he does, he prospers. And all that he does, he prospers. To which many of you must beg the question, wait a minute. I feel like I delight in the Lord, and you should see my bank account. It is anything but prosperous. You should see my family. We, there's so much sickness. We're anything but prosperous. When the psalmist talks about and all he does, he prospers, he's not talking about it in the same way that Joel Osteen does. Right? He's not addressing parking lots and promotions at work. He's addressing something deeper, something richer. He doesn't have a mind temporary, superficial, here and now prospering. He's very aware of the suffering of the godly. Good people suffer. 
Godly people suffer. People who love Jesus suffer. People who read the scriptures hours on end suffer. He's aware of that. The psalmist is also very aware that the, that the wicked often prosper. In fact, in Psalm 73, he actually says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was envious of the wicked because they prosper. Seems like all they do is sin and all that happens to them is good stuff. And maybe I should sin too. Maybe I should enter that wickedness too. The psalmist is not saying that the wicked don't prosper, nor is he saying that those who delight in the law of the Lord will prosper in all ways. The following verses help us understand what he's saying. Verse four, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked may prosper in this life, but their prosperity is like chaff of the, that the wind drives away. It won't last, and it is not eternal. Specifically, it will not withstand the judgment. They might die thinking they are happy. They might die with what appears to you as more happiness than you have experienced. Scriptures say that those who are wicked, their happiness, their blessedness, their way will not last. It is like chaff that the breath of God will simply blow on and it's gone. There's no place for them in the congregation of the righteous. Those who delight in the law of the Lord and in the Christ of thy law find true life, eternal life. As Paul would say, though he suffers much right now, it has no comparison to the joys that await, to the rewards that await, to the happiness that awaits. And guys, here's what I know. Because here's what I've done all week. This doesn't seem practical enough. But help me with my happiness today. But help me with it today. Like you have no idea how hard life is. What I need to know is how to be happy today. And I believe this is what shows us just how much we don't understand eternity. It shows us just how confused we are about time, about space. about true happiness and about our God. The idea that the goal should be that my life is more happy for these next 35 years that I have to live is the counsel of the wicked. The idea that my life should be spent delighting in the God who will give me an eternity of happiness is the counsel of the Lord. But most of us, most of us struggle every day with this concept. In fact, if you look at your life and the seasons that you just find yourself in mass despair and sadness and grief, which are all real, which are all real emotions, which all have right places, but when we find ourselves living there with no hope 
of the things to come, we have found ourselves in a place where we actually are taking the counsel of the wicked. So what do we do with this? Two pastoral charges for us today. Number one, stop walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, and sitting in the seat of scoffers. Right? It might look prosperous, but it's not. You might think it brings you happiness, but it isn't. It might be energetic and, and, and adventurous to the board, but it leads to death. Stop taking the counsel, standing in the sin, and enticing others to sin by believing the truth of it. To the unbeliever in the room, if you have not trusted in Jesus, and if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, your take home today is not, I've got to stop listening to the counsel of the wicked in all these different areas of my life. Your take home today is, you need Jesus. You need, you need Jesus. You need to trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus, that he is the son of God, sent by God to redeem broken, sinful, rebellious man. That he lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and rose victory from the dead, and that he will return for us. You believe in that. You place your hope and faith in that. That's the only answer for you. It's the only way to find true happiness is in the person work of Jesus. Begin there. Repent of your sin. Believe in Jesus, sinner. For those of us who are followers of Christ, who have placed our faith in Jesus, stop hearing this counsel. Stop standing in the sin. Would, would you leave here today and would you go home and would you just spend some time not forgetting the sermon and moving on to the rest of the week? But would you spend some time contemplating, thinking deeply about the areas in your life where you're listening to the counsel of the wicked? What are the areas in my life that I'm allowing the counsel of the wicked to, to consume me? What are the areas in my life where I've actually listened to it to such a point that I'm standing in a lifestyle of sin now? whether that be, be sins of action or sins of belief, sins of doubt. I'm standing in this place of sin. I'm, this is my new home. And dare we contemplate and just even consider that perhaps we've bought in to the counsel of the wicked to such degrees that we're actually offering it from the seat of scoffers now. Do the work and investigate. Ask the spirit, Christian, to speak truth upon your heart. Repent, confess, tell someone in your community group, tell your spouse, tell a friend of the sin and the counsel that you must turn from. And then, number two, pursue true happiness. Which doesn't necessarily sound like the sermon that a church like ours would typically stand up and tell you. Second point of my sermon is pursue happiness. But when you're pursuing true happiness, blessedness, that comes from delighting in the law of the Lord, we can preach that all day. I pursue true happiness, Christian. Delight in the law of the Lord and delight in the Jesus of that law. When you do, the droughts of, when the droughts of belief come, the law of the Lord will flood your drought with faith. And when the heat of life comes, the law of the Lord will be a cool drink, refreshing your parched soul. And when the winds of temptation blow, your roots, which have been growing deep, gripping down into the foundation and drinking from the water of life, will not give 
and will not give, and though the tree may blow and bend and creak, it will not be plucked up. Make your delight in the law of the Lord and be a truly blessed man and woman today. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are the only truly, completely happy, blessed man who has ever lived. For you're the only one who has never listened to the counsel of the wicked, stood in the way of sinners, sat in the seat of scoffers. If anyone knows what it means to be truly happy, Christ, it is you. If anyone has found life, experienced immense, complete, perfect joy, it is you. So today, may the hearts of the men and women in this room who long for relief, who long for retreat, who long for a form of happiness, may we put aside the counsel of the wicked. May we repent and confess of our sins which we stand in. May we push away from the chair of the scoffer that we have sat in. May we come to you, Jesus, the truly happy man, and may we delight in you. For you have come and you have made yourself known to us, given yourself to us, told us about you and drawn us to you so that we might delight in you and might have life in you and might find our joy in you. Thank you. Every week we conclude our time in the scriptures through communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then this is a great time for you to come. In a moment, you'll stand up and you'll exit to your right. You'll come down the stairs and you can take from one of our three tables. If you're allergic to gluten, we have a gluten-free option at the last table. And you can come and you can take the bread and you can dip it in the juice and you can take it and you can eat it and you can remember a truly happy one. The one who never trusted in the counsel of the wicked or walked in the way of sinners who broke his perfect body and shed his perfect blood so that you and I might have life. And as you do today, may this not just be a practice that we do weekly. My prayer for you is that as you take this, that you would find delight in Jesus. As you tear the bread and you picture his body being shed apart on the cross, may you delight in Jesus. As you dip it in the juice and you see it stained with the juice, May you picture his blood spilling into light in Jesus. And as you taste it on your tongue, may your mind go to the day in eternity where we will sit and partake in the Lamb's feast. And may your heart find happiness and joy that one day you will get to delight face to face in Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never placed your faith in him, we invite you to stay in your seat.
to not come take this. But the invitation to you today is to take Jesus, to delight in him for the first time, to place your faith in him for the first time. If you don't know what that means, don't know what that looks like, you have questions about that, we invite you to ask anyone that you see come take this. By taking this, they are telling you they have placed their faith in this Christ, in this Jesus, and they can tell you about him. So find one, ask them, and receive life today. Church, come and take Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.